Thundergrunt. Hey, Bob. Bob. Why don't you introduce yourselves to the best of the ability of your voice? I am Jimmy George. I am still sick, uh, a little better. Um, I am a full-time script consultant and a screenwriter. I am Jamie Nash. I'm recovering from Christmas. It was the best Christmas ever. <laughs> I'm a screenwriter. Congrats on that double feature, Jamie, yeah, dude. on TV. That Oh, yeah. It got huge ratings. <laughs> Blew the doors off. And now so. you're writing Home Alone in Space. Home Alone in Space. Right. Yes. And I'm Bob Rose, um, a guy on the internet that makes movies sometimes, and I love Queen. Oh, man, me too. And that's relevant because Jamie suggested that we do Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And I think for good reason, because this is going to be a very interesting episode. Yeah, We've never done a biopic. Yeah. Yeah, and there's I, I've been kind of obsessed with biopics. I really want to write one, to be honest. And I, I've actually toyed with a couple different ones. Um, over the last few years, which I won't say because somebody will steal them. I'll say now. off the podcast. I mean, I've, I've thought of some, I'll give you some of my throwaways, like the making of Star Trek and things like that, oh, because I that think would it be would good. be interesting. Gene Roddenberry? Yeah, the Gene yeah. Roddenberry, Ooh, sleeping really with good. women, you know, cheating with, uh, you know, the cast. And oh my gosh, like I don't know all this. Kirk and Spock kind of hating each other at first. You know, things like that. It'll be fun. I, I will never write it, so that's why I'm throwing it out there for you to write it. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> well, but, well, what I wanted to say was, uh, about the biopics, why I really wanted to do it besides the fact that I want to write one. So biopics are, they're kind of this weird screenwriter hack that's going on right now. So the blacklist just came out, uh, with the blacklist, which is the list of the top, um, spec screenplays of the year, unproduced spec screenplays that are, uh, highly rated by the readers. Highly rated by the readers, meaning the producers, the agents, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, in the industry. Yeah. And if you look at what those scripts are, almost every year, they're biopics. So this year it was Drudge, the history of uh, Matt Drudge. Is that the guy's the name? The Drudge Report? Really? Drudge Report, yeah. So that's the number one script on the blacklist this year. There's another one called Frat Boy Genius, which is the Snapchat biopic, the guy who does Snapchat. Past years have had I, Tanya was on there. Uh, there was one Blonde Ambition about Madonna. There was one about Michael Jackson as seen through the eyes of Bubbles as Chimp. There was all kinds. Wasn't There's that going to be directed by uh, Taika or the Thor Ragnarok Michael guy. Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, probably. But all these yeah. have been blacklist yeah. scripts. These are the best scripts of the year. Um, uh, you know, uh, The Post was on there. Um, all the Money in the World was on there. All these different biopics have been on the blacklist. They're the ones that are most popular spec scripts. And the reason is... Not to get Wolf long winded about this. Wolf of Wall Street probably was on there too. Yeah. yeah. Um, the reason that these are so popular is because screenwriting has changed to the point where you can't write like Star Wars anymore and expect yeah. to sell that. You have to write low budget stuff. Usually it's horror movies, comedies. Every now and then a Bad Mom's Christmas will, or Bad Mom's. <laughs> that's, my, that's my movie. It's your go to now. That's my go to reference. No, but stuff like that, those, those kind of comedies that are high concept what was the other one um horrible bosses you know, horrible like bosses that. yeah um 
th- those kind of movies will sometimes sell on spec. You'll blockers. See blockers. You know, great things movie. like yeah. that. Great comedy. Love but, that movie. By yeah. the way, I'm not Game sure. Night. I'm Game not night sure that any of these were spec screenplays, but Tag. they're the type of movies. Tag. Tag's a biopic comedy. They're the type of yeah. movies that, that are Relevant. selling. Um, so the other way you can get around this, if you don't write comedy, if you don't write horror, if you don't write low budget, 10 million and under movies, people have been finding public domain characters. So you can write about Dracula or Sherlock Holmes or things like that, but you can also write biopics. Yeah. And that's kind of the sneaky end around spec screenwriters are doing. Finding you, don't, you, don't a need, like, you don't need rights or something? You do that? not technically, I'm not going to give the lawyer background, but as long as it's in the public domain, you don't need rights. But if you get if, if you start doing things like there's only one book on the whole thing and you're kind of just adapting okay, that, yeah. then you get in trouble. Okay. So there's like five books on it. You can kind of pick and choose. I think it's if you can find it again, this isn't a legal thing, but I think it, there's some rule like if you can find it in two places, the fact then it's kind of in the public domain. But if you can only find it in one, you're screwed. And also you, you need to be careful about things like getting sued for um for, for libel, libel. like that. Yeah. Oh, however, the, like like the John Belushi one, the long yeah. time ago. Remember Wired. that? Yeah. Wired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember Dan Aykroyd wanted to sue for that. That was. Uh, it always shocks me. That was Chickless. That was Michael was, Chickless. Yeah, that's John Belushi. <laughs> it kind of ruined his career for a while, apparently, until he got I, the I, show. I watched it. It made me very angry. Yeah. 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 It's pretty insulting. I, I remember reading the book. I don't really remember the movie. Um, because because if, if I made a biopic, it would be about the first year of SNL. Oh, if I made one, which yeah. I won't ever, so it doesn't matter. See, these are those are the types yeah. of biopics that really I want to write one day. I'm really into these. Actually. You write it, I, let me direct it. No, I really, <laughs> I really love them. I just think if I handed them to my agent, my agent wouldn't be the right agent to do something with it. Right, right. But actually, I get more excited about these biopics than anything, which is kind of why I wanted to to do this. Um, I just wanted because we never talked about biopics, um, and it and if we're gonna talk about a biopic. How famous, how well is this doing, Jamie? It is. Yeah. Okay, so right now, as of today, and by the way, we filmed, filmed we, pod, Filming. we casted this pod before Christmas. Right. So it's yeah. right now, it stands at $637 million worldwide. Whoa. Okay, so just That's domestically, good. it was it's at a $181 million. Foreign, it's at $456 Man. million foreign. So Queen has appeal, man. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. I mean, that's that's uh... also like I said, I know that you thought it was a joke, but I sent these guys this article saying that they're actually talking about doing a sequel. I just I guess there's that's, money to be made. You know how much how popular a biopic has to be. Right. Financially, yeah, for exactly. them to even say that word. So it's being well received, at least. And right. Regardless know. of criticism. And, yeah. And budget wise, this one is listed as 52 million, which is really cheap. For mm-hmm. this day and age, um, you know, Deadpool probably costs, which is a cheaper superhero movies like ninety to one hundred and ten. Yeah, so this is like half of that. Honestly, almost. they Man. could just make a sequel that's just Rami Malek just doing a performance yeah, movie. Like, yeah, and don't even worry about story. Yeah, just, people just go to the theater to watch Queen. Just do like fake concert. Yeah, video. fake concert yeah. movie, yeah, and then people exactly. just like, why you just cut out the middleman? Could be kind of a companion piece to this, or right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People would probably go a second disc. Yeah, yeah. yeah second disc, right? IMAX 3D. <laughs> um, no, I can I can see it. Uh, so yeah, it's it's cheap movie. It's making a ton of money. There are a lot of other of these music biopics that have been around. Like there was the. Um, Straight out of Compton, uh, really made, enjoyed that. Made tons of money yeah. a couple years back. 
Uh, this year we have Rocket Man, which is Elton John. When is that? Which is directed by the, the guy summer. who it's directed by. I forget his name, but it's the guy who picked up the pieces from Brian Singer on this one. Right. He's the he's directing Rocket Man. Okay. Yes. Yes. And and that director, which I should look up because I I don't uh, remember what his something name is. Dexter no. something I yeah. Dexter Flisk. I don't know what something. his name is. He he did the Eddie the Eagle. Yeah. Uh, right. Biopic. Oh. Okay. So it must be a biopic kind of guy. Guys. You know. Guys. Um. And and yeah, so we should talk just super briefly about the development of this. Well, who wrote it first of all? Yeah, I, that's why I was going to ask you a question so I could look it up. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, you can oh ask. yeah, no, I, I well, look- development history. I mean, I'm not looking at a computer right now, but I know that we we all know about. I don't know if it affects the script at all, but you know the whole thing—the fact that the director was fired three two thirds of the yeah, way through. Oh my gosh! What, and and before that, there was there the, was the Sasha Baron. Well, Cohen. So originally it was right. the Sasha Baron Cohen was supposed to be playing, uh, you know, um, Freddie Mercury. Sasha Baron Cohen pulled out, and it was I think it was on Stern where he described it was. Well, yeah. And this is about the script. He he wanted the movie to be about Freddie Mercury's actual like dark private life yeah, you mean almost like, like his party honest, lifestyle honest very in-depth nope. genuine not holding back i mean it's right. sasha baron cohen we're talking yeah. about here so if you can imagine the guy who is responsible for bo rat and bruno he want he was probably ready to go deep yeah. and like yeah in, in the dark moments I, I remembered he wanted to be naked all the time in the movie <laughs> he's gonna be naked this is what i remember from howard stern i remember something about parties with cocaine guys with plates with cocaine on their heads or something <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah no you're right stuff like no. that that's what he, i remember he, when i heard this so years ago he said on stern that the reason Once that ago. he pulled out is because the uh, the members of the still living members of queen wanted a movie that was about the band and okay. not about freddie mercury gotcha right. and the, the, the movie that they kind of produced this, this right one. and he yeah they were on set they were on set and they wanted to make a friend a family friendly kind of Virgin versus his like X-rated Freddie yeah. Mercury biopic, and that's why he was like, "I don't want anything to do with this." So that's gotcha. the development history. That which I'm sure he, he must have read something, maybe a first draft or something. How? Was, I don't know. Oh, Sasha. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I'm Sasha, sorry. No, I was. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Sasha must have read either an outline or a first draft that was right. more to his liking for him to sign on originally. Cause I don't think he would just sign on right. anything. Right. Someone, so everything was, so something I think was rewritten to the point where we yeah. got what we got, which yeah. was uh much, which was a Bohemian Rhapsody movie. I could take my mom to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, that's what it is. And the writer yeah. of this is a guy named, if I'm pronouncing this right, Anthony McCartan. Okay. okay. And what he's done before, he's done a lot of kind of prestige um, true stories. He's okay. a true story guy. And you find this, this is true in a lot of cases, like the guys who did Man on the Moon were also the guys that did Ed Wood, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Larry Flint, and all these other ones. You know, that, yeah, yeah. that, that became Let's their thing. Let's get the biopic guy, the, yeah, the girl. They, they also did the OJ uh, series. That Which was, was so really good. successful. Yeah, right. A lot of people yeah. love that. Yeah. So yeah. they're still doing it to this day. So this guy has done, he's only, he's, Relatively new on the scene. I'm going to kind of skip to his bigger credits. The Theory of Everything. He did that. Oh, okay. Uh, Oscar he, winner. Yep. He did The Darkest Hour. The new uh, Jeez, the so Gary Oldman. He's just doing true now stories. He's, now he's Bohemian Rhapsody. And then he's got like three new things coming out that are probably all. All you know, true stories. True stories. Based on true stories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he was the he was the writer. Which is interesting because I know we're going to talk about it. But this guy's forte is being true. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Based on real events. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's something <laughs> to note, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, though, I would love to read whatever Sasha Baron Cohen signed yeah. for. I would love to. I would actually pick that script up and read it. Well, just out of like, what was that? I, you know? I knew this this movie also had a story by by um, Peter Morgan. And if I had to guess, Peter Morgan's script was probably the one Who Sasha is- was developing. So Peter Morgan is a here's some of his credits. And again, he's very similar to the other guy. Last King of Scotland. Okay. The Queen. The other Boleyn girl, Frost Nixon. Oh, wow. You know, it, lots of things uh, like that. It's so interesting that these people have these careers where they're just doing that. Oh, a you lot, master something? A, you know? a lot of them come uh, from, like, a lot of these British kind of serious guys. And I don't want to generalize because I don't know anything about you right. know, one of these two. <laughs> yeah. But right, some yeah. of them come from theater and things like that. And they kind of just have this more prestige kind of background. Yeah. Serious work. They want to <laughs> do stuff work. like that. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Well. I don't I don't know um how to conceptualize this from a writing standpoint or an instructive standpoint but was this felt like a movie that had everything but Freddie Mercury's perspective which is ironic because it's told through Freddie Mercury's perspective. It it's a movie that was made by the still living members of the band. Yeah. And it comes across 110%. Yes. Absolutely. Like it's like Every scene with him, there's nothing there. Well, like nothing if I had, beneath if, the surface. If I had a criticism of the movie, and, and this I know we're this is a weird discussion for our podcast. Yeah, we're not a review I, podcast. We're not a review yeah. podcast, but if I had I think this is a script criticism. It feels like a movie where people that wish they had the reputation of Freddie Mercury right. wrote it. Right. Does that make sense well, to you guys? Yeah. Like like the whole movie just felt like like pushing them into the spotlight a little more than they should be a little bit, I guess. It, to me, what it feels like is I, I used to always, I used to always, when I, I, I'm a big fan of reading biographies and stuff like that. It's one of my favorite th- things to read. Like I like nonfiction, true stories. I always hate, but autobiographies. And that's what oh. this felt like. Cause they always, you know, they kind of yeah, soften they things, change things. Well, it takes yeah. the pe- checks and balances out. It, it does. It does. Yeah. So right. they can, yeah. they get to choose what they want and what they don't want. There's not that outsider perspective to get the big picture. Um, the and, best, uh, uh, the best yeah. film book I've ever read is the man who heard voices, which, Oh is, yeah, no, I love which that. Which is the about M. lady M. in the water, yeah. but he didn't have anything to do no. with the writing. I, I reread that book every now and then. I have no. never read you, that. Jimmy, oh, you need to read it. Anyone read. listening, you need to read it. It's about M night, uh, making lady in the water and leaving Disney because right. of it. And it's, it's incredible. I, it's, and it's not from his perspective. I love that. Yeah. And it, yeah. it goes pretty deep. It's a good book. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Yeah. I didn't even know you liked it, Jamie. Oh, That's I love great. That. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. always recommend it to people. And most people have like, there's such a thing. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if you hate Lady in the Water, like read it. He, he it doesn't, doesn't come off. I mean, it's kind of a hit piece on M. Night, but he doesn't come off as awful. I mean, I, he comes off like the silent hubris. There, there's some it's weird like, stuff in it, like how he says, if I practice basketball enough, I'd be good as good as Michael Jordan and stuff. <laughs> and he kind of believes it. But other yeah. than that, other than that. I, but it's I, interesting. It's just it's very interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But if he wrote it, it would be a different book. Absolutely. Whereas that, that yeah. guy was not holding back punches right. and stuff. Yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, writing. One of these things is not writing. It's not a normal exercise. Yeah, not at all. That's why these guys probably 
have the filmography for it because they know <laughs> they yeah. know how to massage this. I, I, guess, right? I, I have actually, I was hired to write one biopic of sorts. It was more, less biopic, more historical. And I remember, it. I, I love doing it, which is another reason why I want to do it again one day. But here's one of the challenges. And, and watching this, I realized the difficult things. By the way, I'm also a huge fan. I watch like every awful Lifetime biopic. <laughs> like if it's like, the history of Saved by the Bell or something. I will I on, on this very on, on Thunderground, the very thing we're talking on right now, you can find us doing a bonus disc on like the Brittany Murphy story. Okay. Oh wow, okay. And stuff, which was I think one of our best episodes ever yeah. because it's so inaccurate and hilarious. Right. right. I watched terrible. all of them. They're great. They're yeah. absolutely the they're mesmerizing. Story, you know, yeah. Um I don't know. There's there's so many. I'll, I am there for any one of those lifetime <laughs> movies. But what you real what I realized watching this movie because this movie reminded me in some ways of the big budget version of a Lifetime movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, Absolutely. Yep. And, and yeah. As somebody that w- has watched hundreds of Lifetime movies, <laughs> I could say it uses the same tricks that, mm-hmm. like, except the music's awesome and it has great actors and great yeah. cinematography and they can afford a live aid replication and stuff like yeah. that. It blows your mind. But the writing actually is very similar to a Lifetime movie. Yeah. And here's, here's what I realized. And, when you do these cradle to grave stories, so when you do the entire career of Queen, mm-hmm. okay, that's what not necessarily his birth, but the birth of the band, the cradle to grave story, it's not usually one story. It's dozens of stories. Yeah. And instead of being able to tell one story, you have to drop in on all these stories and tell them in two yeah. minutes time or three minutes, yeah. like the time. The time you got AIDS. Okay, let's tell that in two minutes. It's a it's, greatest hits album. It's a greatest hits album. It touches all these As bases. As a movie. And I, to be honest. <laughs> Perfect I, analogy there, Jimmy. Yeah. I, I, I can't think. I, I, I was trying to think. Queen, so yeah, yeah. I was trying to think of a cradle to grave movie that I really love the story of. And I, I'm having a hard time coming up with it. Um, because most of the biopics I like, and, and a lot of these do this nowadays. Like Lincoln is a really excellent example. They take a slice of his life. I agree just completely. One little slice. You can tell a better movie. They encapsulate all of Lincoln in one little slice. Right. What is what are the moments in this person's life that like specific short period of time where you can encapsulate everything about them? That's yeah. right. And their journey. Right. Like even if it's like one year. Even if you it's can one tell year. a one year story in two hours, no, so, but, but social can you tell network, a thirty year story. Yeah. In two hours? social network is one of my favorites. Yeah, not perfect examples. You know, it's slice. only a couple years. Yeah, couple years. exactly. Yeah. Um, the the Jobs movie is an interesting one because what they do is they dip into see four it. different time. Frames. I actually love that movie. No, I love that movie because too. the concept of how it's told is ingenious to me. Right. It's only yeah. It's only about telling the day of his product releases. Product release. Love that. That's yep. it. So I they have to fit it. in all this narrative and everything. All the setups and payoffs have to be fit into all the dialogue. It's kind of insane and probably not even accurate re- re- at all. No. I mean, Aaron Sorkin's kind of known for like getting all the information and then just going and doing what he wants. You know, yeah. that's his style. Yeah. But the Jobs movie is one of my favorites and sort of underappreciated, underseen. Um, but yeah, it's four four release dates but they tell well, there's like they, four jobs movies too that's why yeah that's yeah, one that's of right. the reasons the, the one, they blend we're talking together. about the aaron sorkin this one. is the aaron sorkin one directed by uh danny, danny, danny boyle. boyle that's danny why boyle. it's a great it's um, a the performances are incredible and, so yeah. and it, it yeah the cool thing about it is because it spans that time it still is able to tell like the story of how 
he was a bad father over those four things. That's but it's great. only a day each. It gives day you each. four yeah. days of him as a father. Yeah. And that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it, and it tells like the story of him and Steve Wozniak, and him right. and his daughter, him and his products. So, but all in this. In yeah. some ways, it's doing the same yeah. thing this is doing, but this is telling a hundred stories, and that's telling four. Right. So it's like. These are both like anthologies in some ways. Yeah. Like that's the way I view them. Everything feels rushed. Yeah. Everything. Everything feels like you're only getting uh, you know, the tiniest bit well, of the actual but, thing that well, happens. So the point w- the point that you're making is like if we got a movie that let's, let's say was the day or the week of Live Aid. Exactly. That's that could be possibly a much more focused, that interesting, would be a gripping much thing more interesting story than we're yeah. seeing the entirety of Freddie Mercury's life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And okay. And I'm what, trying to boil it down. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What, what it does in these in these Lifetime movies, and this movie does too. I mean, I didn't write the dialogue down, but there's this one scene where they're on the road and they have a flat tire, and they're mm-hmm. like, they have to tell so much story in this one stupid flat tire scene. <laughs> it's just random. It's like we've booked every pub in uh, the entire London. Oh, well, what are we going to do next? Do the on the nose exposition. Oh, that, that was painful. Dude, oh, it, it is so laden bad. with on the nose exposition. It was so lifetimey. Yeah. That I was like, oh my yeah. God, this is this is lifetime. Like, there's part of me that like, likes that a little mm. bit because it's like, I like lifetime movies, but me you're too. right. It, me too. It shouldn't be in this movie. Right. right. It's, it's tone, not, tone, it's tonally, it doesn't match. So, yeah. So, on the flip side, what 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 else that does these movies don't necessarily have the goal and the conflict and right stuff. in fact there's almost no conflict it seems like when if i watched this movie i would think it would be the easiest thing to become queen in the world yep. okay the yep. first two thirds of the movie <laughs> there's no like, conflict. all right yeah, all right. yeah. hey I, i'm a singer next we're touring everywhere in london next let's do an album next top of the pops next yes yeah. there's no conflict there's no difficulty yeah. he, he literally says life. like fuck you to a giant executive and there's really no consequence and then and we don't see any like pain through that right it's just like oh and they were right yeah. right oh okay yeah. and well, and well, we're gonna get into it later but you realize like when you learn that the mike myers character is not real right and that conversation didn't have you realize they were str- they were grasping they, at straws for conflict they, they had, had to, to find something, something. They, which, they invented it can they, i just right. point out that as in with that point that makes me think Sasha Baron Cohen was absolutely right. Oh, because yeah. Because the conflict he wanted to explore was the one with inside it Freddie Mercury. Internal. Exactly. And he was like, and he knew that there wasn't, a, they had to manufacture conflict if they went outside. And dude, right. this movie is yeah. in desperate need of what you just described. And of I don't want anyone some to think window into Freddie. Freddie. And I don't want anyone to think we're insulting the performances here. Absolutely not. They're no, amazing. In fact, they're amazing. fantastic. In fact, I think, you know, Bob and I were talking off air. We actually both couldn't help but like this movie because the queen aspect of it. <laughs> when are we ever going to hear these songs like this or see this oh live no, no, concert? Like, or the, first, the first two thirds, I was like, yeah. yeah and then yeah. once like shit started to just get like happening that I knew about kind of. And then Live Aid came. I was like. All right, this is kind of awesome. God, yeah. No, I, was like, I would, I would argue yeah. that it delivers heavily <laughs> on the promise of the premise. Right, right. Oddly enough, I don't think it's a good movie. No, it's, it's not a weirdest, good movie. It's the weirdest I, thing. I would watch it again. Yeah, like, I would too. Like, like I hate saying it because I, I don't like, like. I don't think it's a good story well think, told. It's I, a I watched it the story. second I time. Hate Brian Singer. I would have preferred Sasha Baron Cohen's version, but in the end, I'd probably watch this. Again. Oh damn, Jamie, you rewatched. I rewatched because I had a WGA screener. Oh, so yeah, I, I rewatched and I enjoyed the second time. I just kind of ignored all the weird 
parts. Yeah. And, and I looked up from my computer when the music came, but it, it was awesome. I, I mean, honestly, the music's awesome. I loved like Mike Myers part. It's just when I learned he was completely fabricated, I was like, "Weird, what the hell's well, happening?" Well, here's here? the other thing. Let me go into the Mike Myers thing. <laughs> I know we have to. The whole yeah. thing is so winky too, because it's, it's like the Wayne's World. Thing, nobody yeah. will ever buy an opera song. Wink, wink. To the audience, it's like okay, because we all know it did, and they even put Mike Myers in just to remind us that it was yeah. How popular it was. Why the meta? The man who made that song famous again? Again. Is saying that that song will never him. be famous. I don't blame him. It He's, almost felt like a Saturday Night Live. I don't understand the creative it, decision. It's it felt so, like it felt like a Mike Myers comedy. Like right. that's something you would do in an Austin Powers movie. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And he didn't write this. No, and I don't blame him because he was just hired. And he even yeah. said on like Conan, he was like, "I said yes instantly." Dude, that's a one day job. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and it was. It's just like so odd. Like, did they know they were getting Mike Myers, and then like Mike Myers that scene up? You know, it's it was very just like, strange. What the hell is happening? That, and then they threw strange. the brick through the window in the yeah. end. And they're looking <laughs> what? at it. I was like, what is going on here? They don't yeah. never happened. <laughs> yeah, none of it. Can we talk? Let's, let's talk. It about wasn't that. very lifetime either. <laughs> lifetime yeah. doesn't have anything. Because Jamie, you sent us an article from History vs Hollywood. Is that what the name of the History vs Hollywood dot com had a mm-hmm. uh, had an article on this movie that was describing pretty much every event <laughs> and if it was true or not. And it's pretty like eye opening. I'm going to I'm going to link this article on on the thundergrunt.com post of this episode. So you can read it. We should say that these are the decisions you have to make in biopics. Yeah. Not just stick to the facts and buy. Not at all. And and, and before we get into it, I will I will give testimony to the amateur scripts because I I read scripts from people who are trying to get better and trying to break in. All day. That's all I do. And I actually get a significant portion of what I get aren't biopics, but they are true stories. Okay. I would say like people's I would, true stories. Pe- like the people almost. who are sending me are writing about their life yeah. or someone they know's life. Mm-hmm. So they are so beholden to the facts. And um I would say like three out of five I get are true stories. That's incredible. It's crazy. Man. I can't believe so that. so it's incredibly sensitive. Like I constantly have to be careful because mm-hmm, sure. I'm talking about these people's lives. Like right. I criticize, like why would the character do that? I'd be like, well, I yeah, did I did that. it, I did it. Um, so um, the problem is most of them are so stuck in the facts and the reality that they are afraid to break from it in order to tell a better story. And the ones that end up telling the best stories are the ones when I make a note, they're like. Well, that's not what really happened, but I I see your point, and then mm-hmm. they make the change, sure. and it makes for a better story. So the willingness to break away from what actually happened usually makes for a better story. Yeah. Not a script comment, but for me, morally and ethically, it just seems kind of ridiculous to not just make it a fabricated story that was inspired by. Right. Just say inspired. Like, I don't by. understand what what like to me. I'm like, why tell Bohemian Rhapsody and change facts at all? I don't, you know what I mean? Like, why not just tell about another band and then use Queen's music? Right. It, you know, like that way you yeah. can just do anything you wanted. Yeah. And you can make like a kick, like a kick ass script 
and it wouldn't matter. Like no one would be questioning it. It yeah. would just be like, and and you, they're they're selling Rocket Man like that, like it's a fantasy right. biopic because okay. I think they want to massage they things want, a yeah, lot. They, I, I don't. I I I hear what you're saying about it. Just seems weird to me. That's all. The ethical part and stuff, and to me, it does seem weird. It always seems strange. Like when I do these biopics, and one, it's almost my downfall is I do try to stick, stick to the timeline, to the and then I try to fill in the parts that nobody has talked about. That's like I, smart. That's what I try to do. I'm not questioning that. No, I, I get you. Because yeah. I feel the same. I feel the same. It, it, but then there's these great movies like All the President's Men and stuff like this that obviously they didn't have exchanges as witty as Robert Redford. No. And, right. And, yeah. You know, and, and, but on the flip side, I love those movies and they don't misrepresent, re- misrepresent history to me, even though not I know it do- didn't they happen. They don't misrepresent. Or or well, I'll yeah. give you an example of a less famous historical events but a perfect example one of my favorite based on a true story movies is rudy mm-hmm. yeah. and yep. if you find out the backstory you find out that like rudy was like universally seen as an asshole and most of the people on the team thought he was annoying and a lot of those things like dropping the un- all of them dropping their jerseys right. so that he can get a spot didn't happen so like if the story was told in reality with all the players being like, F this guy who's like, <laughs> you know, scrappy and trying to make something of himself, it wouldn't be a good move. But wouldn't Rudy as a, then don't do Rudy Rudiger's story, do a story based. But he wrote it. I know. And, I know. And I know. And that's what annoys me. But yeah, I get you. Antoine, I love Rudy. My, favorite, just, my favorite title ever is Antoine Fisher, written by Antoine Fisher. Yeah. And you know, this, <laughs> right. yeah. this, this whole thing. It's like, who wrote, who wrote that movie? Oh, Antoine. The guy. <laughs> Surprisingly, this whole thing is pervasive. Like this based on a true story thing is very important in the selling. So look at Annabelle Absolutely. and The Conjuring. They're the part of the reason they probably wouldn't have sold if they weren't based on the true story. That's true. That's um, a good point. That's also true. A story. Yeah. Yeah. Tag, you know, as yeah. goofy as it sounds, yeah. the fact that Tag was based on a true story and just wasn't some ridiculous thing somebody made up actually helps in the selling There's and and, and like th- that's a good example too because did you guys watch the extras on tag i didn't watch the extras no no, no. it's a did anybody <laughs> it's a i did it's i a diverse, really enjoyed that okay movie, so, so it's a great movie right movie. and a diverse yeah. cast with the male with a uh, balance of male female characters in different races yeah the female characters weren't real didn't exist right. and all the guys are white all the guys are white sure sure so but yeah. there's i mean that's a huge change mm-hmm. right and it makes for a better story and a and a better movie right right, right. so where's the line mm-hmm. you know yeah there isn't a line it's yeah. just what can you get away with but it's a good discussion right? yeah no yeah. you're right because yeah. i've had clients where I, I would be like well you may it might be smarter to make this diverse and add some female characters yeah. and they'd be like well there weren't any women in this story and like well I don't you know, care. I, I think I think as screenwriters, you really have to ethics and all this stuff aside. If your script is just flat because the facts are flat and there's not a story there, you got to make some decisions. Absolutely, you got to come to the decisions. Some of them might be like pick a smaller time slice. Maybe it's just about the court case yep. instead of the whole life, or maybe it's yep. Um, yeah. On the flip side, a lot of television shows are going the biopic route now, and I think they do it by doing the opposite. They're able to spend more time. So imagine if Bohemian Rhapsody was a 10-episode oh, like television Like the series. OJ thing. Oh, dude, like it would OJ be thing. so good. You could stretch out, instead of just having them standing by the bus saying, we've toured every place in the... Yeah. You could stretch show that, that out for an episode or you two or show something. show that. 
Um, yeah. So that's another direction. Maybe your biopics could be television pilots. <laughs> maybe that's what they should be. Maybe they should be television pitches. For a, um, for a miniseries. For a yeah. miniseries. Um, so you really have to make these choices to find how you can dramatize these things more, where the story is. And I don't really think Cradle to Grave is typically the best choice. I agree I, with you completely. I, I think it's very rarely, unless you're writing for Lifetime yeah. or something, or adapting a book. Yeah. Be kind of funny if this is like, and then we just see like you know Freddie being born, yeah. <laughs> like day one of his life, and then he dies. Edited yeah. scenes, right? His mom is singing to him, right? Oh that, my god, that that was the um, <laughs> that was the short they made for the um, proof of concept. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want you guys to think I don't like biopics. It's just there's a question. Like reading this, it, it questions why. No, the, 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 I, the, I agree with you. Completely. I, I've been there. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Like I said, to you guys off air. I, I really love the movie Rockstar. Mm-hmm. which is i know <laughs> no but it's a great but comparison it's a, but that is a biopic that is based on no one sort of half inspired by a guy from judas priest you know what i mean like it but in that sense there's no argument about what you have to do you just write the movie yeah mm-hmm. why you know what i'm saying why not yeah. just do that and i feel like if you did that and kind of admitted it and, and strangely enough know? there's stump, something less sticky to me about rockstar like seeing it but if it was the judas priest story Sorry. i'd probably be there first day yeah exactly. oh, it is though i mean yeah. it is yeah. I mean, yeah yeah but i, I would if it was Judas Priest, the story on Lifetime. Right. I'd be there. I'd but I think it. all three of us are in agreement before you go into these facts. We're teasing these facts. Yeah. If you're going to tell the Queen story, be honest about it. The, the the dishonesty is the problem. This one feels a little egregious, more so than some yes, other ones. Yes, yeah. it's so dishonest. I mean, that Rudy thing's pretty egregious, but... You know. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, 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 that's true. Good yeah. point. But yeah. the thing about the Rudy story is it's almost a story nobody would care about otherwise, where this is... This is history. There's not Everybody There's wants not legions to, of yeah, Rudy Rudiger yeah. fans yeah. out there. We don't right. learn about Rudy growing yeah. up otherwise that there wasn't that movie. Yeah. But this this is something Queen that is like has a history. Like the band half. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for most people, like Queen yeah. is like a legend and yeah. it's still to this day worshipped. <laughs> so yeah. it's like give us don't give us so much lies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Jamie, so, let's get into this article. So, yeah, yeah, I'll 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 skim some of it here. Yeah. Um because I don't want to read the whole thing. No, no. <laughs> I was really shocked at some of these, though. Oh, I was shocked. I did not know like, the history of Queen. I felt exactly the same as you. I, was I like, couldn't believe it. But is... I, the thing is, I understood why they made the changes. Absolutely. When we talk, we're, we're going to hear them. But okay. I got I, I'm going to skip over some questions really quick. Like, did he really change his name? And did he? Yeah. You know, if anybody important. wants to know that, just yell it out to me of you guys, not you in podcast land. And I'll, I'll read those. Um, Once what, again, this article is linked. Yeah, you're going to link to the yeah, article yeah. on thunderground.com. Another question was, when did Freddie arrive in the UK? So presumably all these things were stuff they, they fudged a little bit. I'm going to skip down to some of the more interesting ones. When did Freddie Mercury first start performing for paying crowds? Because that's really the beginning of the movie. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I'm just going to read from the article. If that's that's okay. cool. We'll, we'll, we'll bounce off of it. Though he had been in a band called The Hectics while in primary school, his first performance in front of a paying audience was August 23rd, 1969, as a vocalist for the band, I think it's Ibex, is, it, is how it's pronounced, who had been looking for a singer. Freddie sung Elvis Presley's Jailhouse Rock. By the way, Freddie was apparently a big Elvis fan. Not in the isn't movie. mentioned in the movie. Uh, future Queen band members Brian May and Roger Taylor were then part of a band named Smile. They knew Freddie and travel, traveled to Liverpool to see him perform with Ibex, even before joining Ibex on stage. 
This marked the first steps toward the birth of Queen. In the movie, number one, it's not. It's like relax and smile. What is it? It was like a whole sentence. It was, was it really? I, it was I like wake up and smile or something. Mm-hmm. But it, I just want to point out this is what you're talking about right here, Jamie. Mm-hmm. The movie to me did a terrible job of even showing me that Freddie Mercury was into music. Yeah, Before, not at all. Like there's I, nothing in the setup. He shows up at that club and he's watching them sing, and then all of a sudden he's like, "I want to be in your band." And I'm like, "How would I know?" You would never know. How would I know? <laughs> I didn't. If then, you didn't know you were watching Freddie a movie Mercury about Freddie Mercury, right, yeah. you would never know. And then, and then he sings that song, and there's perfect harmony, and it just annoyed me. Yeah, <laughs> with the two guys in the bus. Right. Um. But uh. Yeah. So they totally fabricated that. But what do you think their thinking was fabricated? That's what I'll. Well, we'll you needed a meet a cute bit. for the band. Needed a meet cute. Right. Yep. It's almost like the lovers meet scene. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it's a pickup scene. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a little bit like when we just talked about Home Alone. When I say you almost have to start something in motion, yeah, it's hard to do a stop start or something like that. Yeah. So in this way, he's in kind. Of, he's kind of a fish out of water watching the band. He's going to go meet them for the first time. Yeah, it adds tension to the scene. The way the movie plays out, it's like he decided to be Freddie Mercury right then. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like looking at the band. He's like, I'm going to do this, and then it's right. just like, what? What happened? So it's a really yeah. clean inciting incident. Yeah, it's really clean and it's fast and. It's our one coincidence rule, right? Like he just coincidentally yeah, he just had ran into to be them. them, be there when their singer quit that same by, day. By the way, it kind of makes I, I'm not gonna... and and he walked outside at the moment they were sitting there. Yeah, he just it's so like happened. Everything to. is so yeah. perfect. It, it also romanticizes the band a little bit. Exactly. Where it makes it feel magical being there, the producers. <laughs> I think that could right. have something to do with it. Right. They've gotten the most criticism that I've read. Yeah, uh, from fans. Like, they should. They, well, yeah, I'm not going to be the guy that says it, but yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying it. Because, well, they're um, the living members and they were basically in charge of this. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, it the, does. Re- they're the reason Sasha walked. <laughs> Let's No, I, that's 100%. Yeah, I get it. He said that. Yeah. Um. So just a follow up question to that. But when did he first meet Brian May and Roger Taylor? Um. So Mercury actually met his future bandmates in less spontaneous fashion at the time he was attending Ealing Art College in London. While there, he befriended Tim Staffel, who was the who was then part of the band Smile with guitarist Brian May and drummer Roger Taylor. Uh, May had been attending Imperial College in London at the time and had been working on his Ph.D. in astrophysics. Taylor was indeed studying to become a dentist and Mercury became a fan of the band Smile. And got to know May and Taylor. So there I mean, was a long sort of courting period. That's right. They were friends like all of us are friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it yeah. Was, it was messier. It was more like real life. Yeah. And that's was, a long story. He was he was in so their you just, circles. You remove every element. You have him he, him win them over with one note. Mm-hmm. You, you remove all the mess of getting right. being friends. Everything. Yeah. They become friends in the band. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I, I yeah. mean, I could see an alternative version of this. Where you just start them as friends, you know what I mean? Yeah, you started, it would have been fine. You started yeah. in a smile band, and they have their first big yeah. break as a catalyst but, or something, or they're you know, yeah. As you were saying, Jamie, like why would they do this? Mm-hmm. This what we saw the movie we saw it was like a magic moment. It is, it yeah, like it's magic. Brought them together, right? It feels and, like destiny. Yeah, I would say that's what this movie is. This is the fairy tale version of Queen. Yeah, this is the. The Disney-fied version, for better or worse. 100%. Honestly, I think they should just if they should just went full with it and just remove the dark stuff. 
Yeah. Just make it like make because it like the dark a stuff tale. doesn't ring true. It doesn't ring it. true because all the other stuff is 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 mauled. And, and, and it's half assed. I'll, yeah. I'll get to it. It makes the dark stuff feel like dark stuff in real life is complicated. Yeah. And instead, it just kind of it almost is judgmental about oh, the dark I, stuff. Yes, we can that, get I think into that's this. where the people have problems with this movie. Oh, I do. Because fairy tales tend to be black and white. They're not dirty gray yeah you know there's not two sides it doesn't think it's doing what we're saying we'll keep going with the facts and we'll get into it i was gonna say to be just real quick to be as blunt as possible it makes freddie mercury's sexual escapades seem like a sin yeah absolutely and i don't punish with it's the villain of the movie is his homosexuality oh absolutely i hated that i don't think i don't portrayal of it I don't, I don't understand why Brian Singer would do that. I don't even know that yeah. that's, that's the intention. Thing. Not at all. I, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake. Yeah, but, but it's it's it not. But you would think Brian Singer, doing. as much as I hate him, would be more wary of that. Absolutely. It's like, come well, on, man. That's, that's why you get Brian Singer, Singer to and not, do Mel Gibson. Open, <laughs> we're opening this can now. Yeah, we'll keep going and we'll come back to it. This is this is a weird episode for writers blockbusters. I think we've all been honest. This is our biopic admission. We're like, yeah, a different DNA. Exactly. Let's be honest. Right for one. Okay, did Freddie Mercury meet his girlfriend Mary Austin the same night he joined the band? No. The Bohemian Rhapsody movie has Freddie meeting his future girlfriend on the same night. Um, which on the same night, literally a minute before double coincidence, double double coincidence breaks the rule right away. Um, which which that part annoyed me. I hated the double well because then all of a sudden that you as a human don't these things don't happen this way and so you don't it doesn't ring true yeah right off the bat in in reality brian may had briefly dated mary austin so one of the band members that's did. so um, interesting freddie didn't become interested in her until after he was already the lead singer of the band i think that actually would have been some ways more interesting. way more interesting but love triangle again it's the formulaic storytelling that you have to introduce these characters before you know you have to yeah kind of give them the setup so they're all equally weighted yeah like so that. they're all new it's all new a messier sundancey prestige oscar winning typical type movie might have done the messier version and had yeah. it occur more like real life i almost wish that she was just sitting with the band like yeah. you know what yeah. if you're gonna it, do this it would have made more sense right just make it ridiculously convenient well, like I don't even what's think... the what's the cameron crow movie almost famous almost famous to yeah. me this was the anti almost famous this this whole movie i kept going like i example. want i want this to be almost famous with queen it's almost not, famous is messy it's messy it's, it's honest messy. yeah and it's a road movie with band who like Slice we, we witnessed the birth of the band and the birth of the guy getting involved with the band in character yeah okay. anyway yeah. So is Mike Myers, I'm skipping down a little bit, is Mike Myers' character record executive Ray Foster based on an actual person? And we've already said no, he, he is not based on an actual person. At best, he is very loosely based on EMI chief of Roy Featherstone. But unlike Foster in the movie, Featherstone was a big fan of Queen. <laughs> However, yeah, he did, he did complain that their song, Bohemian Rhapsody, was too long to be released as a single. But that's the only similarity. And, I probably, and he probably wasn't even that like dead. He's panel. probably, he come on, like, guys. That's a little long. Let's, yeah. let's do another song. Probably like constructive they criticism. Took one constructive criticism yeah. created another human being out of it. Yeah. <laughs> now, th- this, per- this particular spot, though, I almost get why they did it. 100%. You, so you need the yeah. opposition there. You need you need something to break through. No pun intended. <laughs> but you you know what I mean. They like needed to get through something. And if if you did took this out, it would just be like you said. 
it's really easy to become queen. It's the easiest yeah. thing in the world <laughs> yeah, to become yeah. queen. Even this was easy because they just laughed at him, walked out, and became a big hit. Yeah. yeah. It, it, guess what? It, we were right. Mike Myers sits we, at his desk and looks sad. And that's it. Yeah. 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 They didn't even show. Oh, see, again. It sucks because Mike Myers was great. I, it wasn't even I an obstacle. The that's the problem. It wasn't. Yeah, it so, wasn't. so that's one of the things that this movie is missing is uh, insurmountable obstacles, right? right? right. Everything if it is even providing an obstacle, is overcome immediately. Well, immediately. for the sake of you, pace. And I think that's But what the if case. that didn't exist, though, in real life? So you're still fabricating something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What if it was pretty smooth to become queen? Yeah. Could be. You yeah. Know, you but know, then, uh, then, then, then fabricate something. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well they did, though. They, yeah. That's but what this is. I think, but it wasn't used well. I, no. I, again, think it's a lot of disconnected kind of scenes that the conflict doesn't persist so yeah. we have to each scene has a new conflict almost right this is what i'm saying if this were a tv show if this were 10 episodes maybe there's a whole episode in the mike myers thing oh, on that and how hard it was going to be to find a new person and the the decisions in the Stakes. band disagreements between the right. band and the manager you could turn this into a real story yeah instead of just let's throw a brick through the window and yeah won. and we're Screw done you, we won and um, then it's a huge hit we're gonna be queen yeah. and then they were clean yeah <laughs> like, yeah and, like, again it's the problem with doing 50 different stories instead of you know the greatest one hits. story or something the greatest hits the greatest hits you only have time for a quick conflict quickly resolved move on to the next yeah, yeah. and the, it was and it's yeah like you said quick easy quick and easy the whole mm. thing was quick and easy but at least there's good music yeah um, i mean queen just sells it it's yeah <laughs> oh my god the music yeah so good and the performances honestly i mean there was after, this, yeah, i, I gotta watch it again it's not like i can't yeah, watch like you said <laughs> like you said there was this is a weird episode i'll just share that there was a couple in front of me and uh there was this guy who, if you didn't know better, he like was like loathing this movie watching experience, and he would just like sigh and go like Ugh, at every dramatic <laughs> I moment. I love those guys. And then when the music started, he was literally like standing up in his seat and like cheering. I was like, "This is hilarious." But that's exactly why the movie—that's what this that's movie, what that box office yeah. is reflecting. Yeah, is because Queen is great, right? And you've basically filmed a concert that no one got to see up close like we ever did like this. Yeah. yeah. Well, but <laughs> so, that's it. Yeah. so I'm going to throw this one in here because it Please starts do. speaking Back to, to the, the facts. controversial yes. side of things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I think to be fair and balanced with the controversy parts. So did Freddie Mercury ever have relationships with women again after he came to terms with his sexuality and told Mary? And it says yes. In the movie, uh, Robbie Malik, is that how you pronounce his name? I, I think uh, Ramey. 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 Sam Ramey. Sam um, Ramey Malik. Fre- Fre- uh, Freddie comes out to Mary and tells her that he's bisexual. She responds by telling him that he is gay. I, I was wondering about that because it's such a specific way to handle that scene. Yeah. This is fairly accurate to real life, except for the fact that the movie never challenges Mary's assertion. This was kind of my my issue with mm-hmm. it. I was like, this is weird. It's it was this... You know, in reality, Freddie refused to ever label himself and continued to have both male and female lovers. This was almost the point 
where it felt less like it was from Freddie's perspective than from somebody else. Completely else's. off. Um, and it was, yeah. Which, yeah, which it was hurts to that AIDS side of it that comes in later. And yeah, it's like it's life. told from somebody in the 80s who's like, it it's was. gotten no It's also like it's told by someone who doesn't want to look at gay sex. Yeah. It, this is where the Brian Singer it really angry, completely confused me. That, yes. Like, this yes, completely. It just felt like it was ashamed of showing men loving each other. Yeah. I was like, why are we hiding yeah. from this? You know what it felt like? It yeah. felt like Brian, Brian Singer feels that this is his personal demon and so he's treating it as such when we right. see these like, scenes like, like i don't like, like that i'm like the author gay. the author of the piece doesn't want to say they're gay they want to say they're bisexual but now he's admit- i don't know it's i can't even it, wrap my head it, up. The, so... scene, uh, the scene i hated the most which i i it, i know this was in the script which is the adam lambert as the truck stop guy i hate it so much. hated that scene because i was I like it. why are they treating this like it's so, so sleazy, sleazy and evil and wrong yeah why are it's they doing so this? judgmental? I can't. I can't believe the it worst, happened. The worst part about that is, in my opinion, the movie never for a second explores any sort of attraction to men from his character's perspective. And we're like an hour into the movie, and all of a sudden, some guy walks by him at a truck stop, and it's almost like the movie could ha- could have had this like dun dun dun. Like, it's like it, it was filmed like somebody doing drugs for the first yeah, time. Yeah, dude. It, it it's like, like a that, horror movie it, scene. It, it, I was that's, like, that's what are you doing? Why? Yeah. It's like drugs or alcohol or something. Like, he, yeah. like here's something. the fall of a man. Yes. And I was like, no, exactly. no, no. This is no. not a fall this of a man. This is like self-actualization. Yeah. It's, and it's missing that. That's what it's missing. And I was like, that has to be. That's tone deaf on this guy's, the writer's part. And the I band, got in the band's part. The right. band sees it as an as a as a negative, as a as a villain, a villainous, well, like an antagonistic so, force. So now I'm gonna try to try to figure out how this happened. But I think they were trying to touch base with his attraction to men in such a short way that they had they came up with this really lame way. <laughs> yeah, to do it. That George Michael scene. No, if I could, it it's kind of like. It's somebody that doesn't have I the perspective you, writing the perspective. It's like how Blade yes. in the comic books was a white guy in the 70s writing a black exploitation character. And not until you had an actual real Blade <laughs> we got eventually that it worked. You know what I mean? Right. Because he didn't understand that culture at all. <laughs> That's So it's like it's like a bunch of straight white guys writing. Trying a, to write. Writing yeah. a gay guy coming. Right. A bisexual coming to fruition. It's handled and they don't understand. such lack of nuance. If anything, it's the most insulting part of the movie. It's so it really insulting. It, so that's the, why people are angry at this. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, it made me angry, and, and even more, it comes comes through later, which we'll probably get yeah. to as well. Um, so, did Freddie Mercury really remain close friends with his one-time girlfriend, Mary Austin? Uh, yes, uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody true story supports that Freddie met Mary when he was a starving musician. They moved in together. She supported him for a time. She was a one person he trusted. They remained friends even after they broke up in 1976 when he was coming to terms with his sexuality. Um, I'm going to skip down. Uh, Mary was a comfort to Freddie during his final years as well. He left Mary the bulk of his estate um, when he died from AIDS complications in 1991. He reasoned that if he had kept living as a straight man, they would have married and had a life together. So... Anyway, I, I got it. That, this is actually the part of the movie I thought worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I agree. was the movie at least did a good, they do a good job in showing how lonely he is and how yeah. she's all he has. Yeah. And even, and, and she's as she, beacon. and as she gets more of her own life and separates from him, he, him losing it a little bit, I was like, that's the one through line that I kind of was like, 
I can grab onto this. It works. I understand what you're doing. It, you know, it, again, even though this is the fairy tale version, that through line was a little messy. You know, yeah, he, he loved her. He, but it's like but, real life. Yeah, it's like yeah, real it's, life. That was yeah. a real life one. He, yeah, he just because he he's gay, bisexual, whatever you want to say, whatever he wants to label himself, he can still love you know this woman. And if he says he loves that woman, he loves the woman. And it's about yeah. trust, trust and respect. Trust, and, trust yeah. and respect. Yeah. And, they can still have a relationship. The movie really the movie sells judge him. No one knows Freddie Mercury except her. Yeah, like maybe Jim Hutton, kind of. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like he was like the next person. He, he to gets know a him. real short, you know, yes. amount of time. And I was like, you know what? I was almost like, <coughs> I would probably just start the movie with them meeting. One hundred percent. I yep. could watch yep. that movie yep. to Live Aid. Yep. And that would be the movie that I would probably prefer. I, I agree. You know? I honestly thought if they had expanded his role and gave us more of an understanding. Of what that because that's your window. They that is they your didn't window. Really shows what he meant to him, right? And that's what bothered me. Th- that that yeah. is your window into Freddie Mercury, Jim. Yes, and and they chose deliberately not to even explore that. Oh, that that scene um, when he says he's my friend, and I was like, did that uh, happen? Because that seems bad. That yeah. it seems like that's somebody writing that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't like. He shouldn't be ashamed at that point. Yeah. Just say yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah. The, but see, yeah. that's the thing. There is no. There's no uh, context. So 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 like we're going to get onto arcs later, but um a lot of uh sexual identity stories have a like a sec a a an inauthenticity arc. So right, so right. you start with a character who's living on inauthentically and then by the end they grow to a person who is proud of being authentic and real. Um and that's in my opinion, is not explored at all in this movie. Like the actual Freddy's feelings about no, living as a gay man. It at the end. He's just there yeah. and he's gay, but there's no exploration of his feelings about his sexual identity. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's they missing. Kinda, I think they thought so. It's just hollow. The, it's hollow. Even the scenes with Jim are the hollow. Pre- I think the press conference scene was what the writer thought would cover all of that. Mm-hmm. Is the world bearing down? Here we go. And Freddie going, you know, you can ask anything else. Yeah. Like, like he's. Yeah. It was just, I don't know. I was like, do I like that? I don't know if I like the press conference scene Mm -hmm. because it was so stylized. Stylistically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it just, it, I was like, is he. Felt like a different movie. Who is Freddie in that moment? I was like, is he fine with everyone knowing or what? It felt like Jamie, we talk about this a lot. It felt like checking the box. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Checking the story box. We need to have him now be attacked by the press yeah. about his sexuality. A lot of this, Check the box. One of the difficulties with biopics, and I actually think for a cradle to grave, you're probably in good shape trying to do this because it's the only way. I think it feels like a movie that's poured into a very formula, you know, whether it's Save the Cat or Sid Field or something. They're trying to find things that feel like those moments. And yeah. They're, they're struggling to they're, find them. They're unearned is, is they're the problem. Unearned. But they, um, they kind of give the audience a feel that they're on that typical journey they're on, even if they're not. I don't yeah. know if you guys would be with me on this, but I think the problems with this movie stem from it being more concentrated on plot than character. Does that make sense? Pro- like the check no. boxes and everything. Yeah. Like if I think of a biopic well, that's the... all character, I would say Behind the Candelabra. Mm-hmm. Like to me, yep. that that's a, that's that's a biopic. I don't know if you I guys... haven't seen it yet. It's I have to. Excellent. It's... I love it. Yeah. But it, it's 
to me, that doesn't feel like it's checking boxes. I, I barely remember the plot of that movie. You know, I because it doesn't the, matter. The characters probably. are the character. rich, and you know where they are every moment. Yeah, and what they're doing and why. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'll say something controversial about <coughs> that. Um, it's probably the difference between six hundred billion dollars and HBO. You know what yep. I'm yep. saying? Yeah. Yep. This one no, is that's not controversial. You're a hundred percent right. Yeah. That's why this made six hundred million dollars. Right. because they because it is they, a greatest hit story, and they yeah. washed out. The the, yeah. the bisexuality, the complicated stuff is gone. They keep you moving. You're eating your popcorn. It's you're so popcorn. easily digestible. Oh, I was also talking about pu- pushing out the sexuality stuff. Yeah, too. but oh. it's Imagine so middle America wants to see this movie, and that's why. It's, like they it's wouldn't have so in one, one in your eyes and forgotten mm-hmm. as far as what happens. Like we're pile driving through to get to Live Aid. That's yeah. the only goal that yeah. exists in this yeah. whole movie. And it's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty great. I mean, yeah, it's pretty great. that's the sad part about all the complaining. Yeah, like, all three of us are criticizing the story, and they're like, "Man, when that music hits, because it's fucking it's Queen." Yeah, yeah. it's like it's, yeah. it's it's awesome. It's well done. Yeah. That yeah. that ending. Is... Nope. By the way, I heard they filmed that first. Yeah, it was the first thing they. Wow, filmed. isn't that crazy? Jesus, if they just filmed that as like a short film, I would have been like, "This is the single greatest IMAX. thing ever." IMAX. Yeah, I would have paid full price to see that fifteen minute I, like yeah. short. When I was rewatching it yesterday, not to take a quick diversion <coughs> here, but uh, it's I was trying to figure out why it was more interesting than actually watching Live Aid, you know. But I realized that when I watched Live Aid, it was on a television. It was, it was wide poor shot. quality. It's yeah, a wide you know, shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And here I was getting the best, the highest tech, you know, technological achievements yeah. of 2018 in my face with Queen. Yeah. And that was damn awesome. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> and honestly, like all the bad storytelling that we've discussed up to this point is that Rami Malek is selling it on that stage so well about oh, all his so pain well. and everything he's going through even though i don't feel like i saw that pain right. i know about freddie mercury existing right and his life so i kind of just replaced the movie i just watched yeah with the th- stuff i know for real yeah <laughs> and it was great you know yeah. like yeah since we're nearing there um let me get into some of the stuff that is completely fabricated okay. but was almost the most important structural thing they needed to do I sort of understand, but also I give you a really kind of fake history of the life. So did Queen ever split up? No. Okay. Mm. It is here that the movie makes its biggest departure from the truth. In the film, we see the band livid at Freddie for signing a $4 million solo deal behind their back. He tells them that he wants to take a break from the band and they all go their separate ways. The truth is much less dramatic. The band was burnt out by 1983, having been on tour for a decade they all agreed to take a break to focus on their solo careers, but they stayed in touch, stating, uh, starting to work on the works later that year. This seems like the lowest move from the band themselves. Yeah. The the scene when they when Freddie basically comes ba- crawling back to them, I was like, when I learned that the, I didn't know about all this, but when I learned that yeah. was fake, I was like, you guys, this seems kind of rotten, dude. And yeah. the, the fact that it, and it's the only time the movie shifts perspective, so yeah. the word, it's told through Freddie's perspective, and all of a sudden. Now it's being told through the band's perspective. Like, you don't even get a moment with Freddie outside the hallway right. where he's going, like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed. It, it's all about the band and talking about Freddie. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, this is so shitty. It's, it's like, what do they weird. want? Do they want blood from a rock from him? Like, is this like penance? Yeah, for I don't know. I'm so life? judgmental. It's really judgmental. Uh, yeah. parental. Honestly, though, I, I think what's happening here is they're trying to find that all is lost moment to set up. Act oh, script wise completely yeah. yeah that actually works but see 
I don't think it did because I think it did. We didn't see it from Freddie's perspective. Freddie's out in the hall. He's not even involved. But Jimmy, at this point, I'd given up on that. At this point, yeah. I'm watching the band movie. Yeah, I'm you're not right. watching. Good call. I'm not watching a, the framework from, from it as a band movie. I, it made I, sense, right. like from a script. It, it was like a, it was a moment. You're right, and that moment in there works. But it angered me when I found out it was completely fake. Yeah, but if I didn't know that, it does kind of okay. Work. Does okay, that make sense? And it, yeah. So <laughs> this is a weird episode. It, it, <laughs> I love it. it. I love it. It goes down this all as lost moment. I mean, you could almost break out the save the cat beat sheet at this point yeah like they needed to find ways to do this because they were like well, what are we gonna do for us all well the yeah. aids also prob- there's a ticking clock with a- the live aid a- yep aids probably yep. aids probably uh factors in like if i was charting it out i'd think that would feel like an all is lost moment for yeah. most people um however as we'll see that's uh somewhat <laughs> mixed up too in the timeline oh my gosh um so you could see where they came up let's split the band up for this movie that's about a band splitting up is oh yeah key. And it's a trope of these movies that usually they do split up and they yep. go their separate ways. They then, even mention it in the movie <laughs> at the beginning. Remember? Yeah, yeah they, bands they do. Bands usually split up. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what they and, say. Yeah. And usually in these kind of movies, <laughs> they, they split up and then they almost, the third act is kind of about finding what they loved about each other again or something, you know, coming to terms with their new reality or just having those nostalgic memories, you know? Yeah. So... Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, yeah, I know what you're going to say next. Go ahead. Well, this one, I don't know. I might skitter. But this one was, did Freddie Mercury meet Jim Hutton uh, as a servant? I'm just going to skip over that and say, no, he didn't. No. Okay, that was very different. That's the least of yeah. my work. Yeah, like, it doesn't bother me that much. Fine, whatever. You know. so it works. Was whatever, Queen's yeah. performance at the 1985 Live Aid concert really as big as it's made out in the movie? Um, yes and no is the answer. I'm going to kind of skip over this one, too. Um I think most people think it, it was a great moment. I was talking to Bob and Jimmy before. <laughs> yeah. As a kid who was prime for this, I mean, 1985 was my year of music and stuff. I barely remember the Queen performance, <laughs> but it was because it was in the daytime and I was waiting for Madonna and, you know, Phil Collins to show up at night or whoever it was. Well, as yeah. the movie does say, they, they were shoved in there. They were yeah. shoved in more in the early section of the thing. But that said, I'm one person. There are a lot of people that think it's the greatest, the greatest. and stuff like that. Yeah. I've definitely read that. That yeah. a lot of people think that. So, I, I, yeah. my memories of it are completely more about the nighttime. So I, you know, I whatever. But uh, <laughs> Jamie hates Queen. It's I like, hate Queen. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, did uh, do, 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 uh, I'm going to skip over. Did Freddie Mercury's personal manager Paul Prencher betray him? Yes, he did. He, there were a lot of things similar, like he did expose. Uh, expose some behavior on live television or something uh, uh so a lot of that was true a lot of i'd that love to true. know if the him walking away never seeing him again thing happened oh, that yeah. seems so over dramatic no, I, I cannot imagine he's just like yeah. i never want to look at your face again it just walks out into the rain and i was like that can't have happened <laughs> that, that almost seemed like a movie in a in a movie like like imagine you were making a movie about somebody winning the oscar that would be the fake clip they'd show yeah. Yeah. like somebody walking like out, a right? ben stiller movie yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they would yeah um Okay, so here's the big one. When was Freddie Mercury diagnosed with AIDS? It is widely believed that Freddie was diagnosed with AIDS in 1987, two years after Live Aid. The film has him telling the band during rehearsals for Live Aid in 1985. <laughs> this was added for dramatic effect and is most almost certainly not true. He gave his final filmed interview in 1987, but mentioned nothing of the illness. He revealed the truth to his family and close friends in 1989. He didn't publicly acknowledge he had the sexually transmitted disease 
until he released an official statement on November 23rd, 1991, the day before his death. And then it, it has the actual official statement. This was the change, obviously, that I think hurts the most. Mm-hmm. But also, like, from a script perspective, I understood it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need to have that in there. Well, if, yeah. you, if you want Live Aid to be the finale. You have to do this. You can't. You, otherwise, morally, you cut out AIDS. Is it yeah. ethical? I don't know. I don't know what any of this is ethical. But yeah. it no. makes sense, like, script <clears throat> I it, it definitely feels like, if I was just charting it, it feels like, for a cradle to grave story, it feels like an all is lost moment. You have to put it in there. But this is the problem with biopics. Sometimes they don't have great third acts. Yeah. So let's say you had Live Aid earlier. This came. And then what's your third act going to be? Him dying. Right. Him dying. That's the problem with real life. Our third acts, we get sick and we die. Yeah, we die. We suck. There's the happy yeah. Our third act sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, Yeah, this will be like Philadelphia. Yeah, that's where the, <laughs> the, that's where the yeah. magic of biopics writing comes in that's where you really have to you have to figure out an ending you have to make the ending satisfying again if it was a television show you might be able to do live eight as this huge episode seven but then episode 10 is the death you know in the The set and that's not and it might work fine because each episode but not for a movie but not Not for a movie movie needs a right yeah and and it sort of is the uh so the final rebonding moment for you're, the band you're, and think, their audience. In the movie. I think you have three choices for the movie if you're doing Cradle to Grave kind of movie. I think you have three choices. Leave it out, which I can't. You can't. You can't do. People wouldn't. It would riot. Yeah, riot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, can't you do, do what you did here, or somehow you tell more of a non-linear story in the end. Yeah, uh, you tell a you tell an I, epilogue. If I if I was if I was doing it, which I would never. But I guess I would probably have a framing device of maybe a last interview with right. Freddie. Exactly. That's, yeah. That's perfect. Probably what I would do. Yeah. And when he revealed instead it. Instead of fabricating that yeah, that he was that. diagnosed and he told yeah. the band like what the week before Live Aid. Yeah. Which is obviously like so not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think a framing device where he's giving his last interview or maybe having a, a last talk with like Jim or something yeah like i don't know i think a recollection framing device would be great you could and you could pepper that through the whole movie to yeah kind of bring and that would give stuff. you a window into yeah. his into his feelings about these things so make this movie a memory yeah and that way you could probably yeah, so, shuffle so really what you can see is that they they picked the live aid concert as being the act three finale which the we all love finish and then everything else was retroactively the breakup of the band the aids the, all this yeah. stuff um, and that is so where the ending well, also I'm just realizing the thing I just said the reason that wouldn't work with how they did it is because that would be from Freddie's perspective and they don't have Freddie's perspective that, and, yeah. and that and that's also where the movie gets like I said a little judgmental and weird because his gay lifestyle that he went to have after the solo career is sort of what caused the AIDS in some ways and that's a very lame uh, to say at least yeah. 80s kind of movie Absolutely. perspective with it just seems very uh, tone deaf yep. and weird and i so i can understand where a lot of that and and the from. movie doesn't seem aware that it's telling it that way no not at all it also no, we're like three straight white guys talking about this i can't i mean pe- he is an yeah, icon right, right. to people that yeah. identify with I'm him sure. and that i can only that's really insulting and judgmental yeah. and terrible yeah. well the it, way that was handled mm-hmm. you know it, and again in in the messy world of real life you can have a great party and it and get AIDS. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. It's not like I'm sure Freddie Mercury was having the time of his life during some of those things. And there was lots of love and joy and everything. Yeah. And it wasn't some horror story or, yeah. or lesson learned no. or anything. Oh my god, that scene um, where where 
they're all saying we're going home to our wife and our families like while he's at the no party one. like i'm not that a family man is, that scene is so judgmental against him not being that person being a family man right? yeah but you have to tell a messy movie to, to tell that kind of thing a yeah. messy movie meaning messy like real life like like everything isn't black and white yeah you know everything isn't good bad yeah. and this is written like black and white there's this not much shades of gray in here and not at all it's very fairy tale very you know disneyfied or whatever yeah. Um, yeah. there's yeah there's this whole through line in it where freddie gets what he deserves yes which i'm like what? oh i know uh, that's exactly it what disgusting. it feels like it feels really disgusting oh, I that's agree. why i hate enjo- that's why i kind of hate enjoying the ending yeah because i was like it does come with this really disgusting yeah, he message. message he has yeah. to beg to be back in the band and be repentant about yeah. his ways He's, in his order to get to live age punished yeah yeah the way they frame it, the way it's yeah. told, and I don't think it realizes. And he doesn't. You know what? I'm like, if you're gonna do this, why not have him have pride at all? Right. Like he doesn't. He almost. He's like on his knees saying it, it's happening. I'm gonna have to deal with it, but I'm here for you guys. Like, why do you don't have Freddie say something like, Ugh, "I did what I did, and I'm not yeah. sorry about it." Right. And then you know, uh, I'm, that's I, what's missing. Yeah. That's what's yeah. missing. It's Freddie's perspective. Active. From the character that we're watching is completely. It makes me. Feel, I feel really guilty for saying I enjoyed the live aid. No, I know, <laughs> but, but I did too. I did. If I, I'll just yeah. watch that part and not anything else. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> is there? Uh, we need to talk about character arcs. So yeah, Jamie, like this movie attempts an arc, right? Like, yeah. Well, again, I and I, I go back to the whole thing, the cradle to grave thing. It's hard to do a character arc. In that, because we learn multiple life lessons throughout life, it's not like one one yeah. story. But what you see in a lot of these, in a lot of um, uh, cradle to grave uh, band stories, are these kind of rise and fall stories, is yeah. what I call them. So, and that's what I feel this one attempts to yeah. fake or feel like. So there's this rise, which is all joy and throwing bricks through Mike Myers' window. <laughs> And all this we're stuff. immortal and nothing can stop we're us. Immortal. We're artists. We're, we're yeah. going on tour and we're discovering things, truths about ourselves. And it's all positive yeah. and on the up and up. And then there's this fall, which a lot of it's fabricated, of the breakup of the band, the selfishness, the I yeah. want to do solo projects. The um, sex parties. Sex parties and <laughs> debauchery and losing sight of what's important to us. That's the fall. Yeah. And then the redemption of the final act. And this... This yeah. has a pretty classic one of those. There yeah. are other movies like The Godfather and stuff like that that also have kind of rise and fall arcs yeah. that you can see yeah. within them. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of what I took from this one. Yeah, I I think it's trying to be. I think I think it thinks it's telling a story about Freddie being okay with himself in the end. It's not, but it doesn't do that at all. No, it, I. And but I think it believes it does. It's one of those things where it's it's at points so insulting. You're like, how did no one like say anything? I know. How did nobody? I know. Like, my only thought is, and I realize we're not talking about the script, but it's that it must have been such a troubled production, as we heard with Brian Singer being very difficult and them fighting him and Rami Malek apparently fighting on set all the time. That no, like this stuff just slides through, and they get to like, the end, have a finished movie. At and least that's we it. finished the movie, right? Like, yeah, like because I just can't believe that no one was like, "Hey, so <laughs> has anyone actually seen what you're doing right now, or <laughs> what's written on this page?" Him having sex with somebody at a truck stop, making it like a horror movie, yeah, might not be the best idea. Yeah, so, so tone deaf. 
incredible. Yeah. Like it, it just, yeah. it, it, it's a troubled production where they just got to the end and it, and it worked. It worked. That's what I hate about this. Like, I know. It worked. We're saying all these things and it's like, but I did enjoy a lot of it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, it worked financially. Yeah. Yeah. Financially, well, they did I like it. the band stuff, all the, all the performances. Yeah. On the, on the bright side. The I kid mean, from Jurassic Park, by the way, yeah. the whole time I'm like, why do I know that guy? Why do I know that guy? And it, it was Timmy, the human piece of toast. Oh. Did you realize that? No, no. He's no. the he was the uh, bassist or whatever. Wait, what? It was Timmy from Jurassic Park. The bassist? Yeah, I forget his name. Don't worry about uh, it. Yeah, but uh, the whole time I'm like, why does he look so familiar? And it's the kid from Jurassic Park. I had Park. no so, idea. Yeah, he's a member of the I didn't know band. he was still in uh, the business. Or... He's in uh, Social Network. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, but it, I was like the whole time. I, oh, that's Timmy the human piece of that's toast. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Sorry. No. Um. But yeah, that's all. Bring I, it up. Let's a, bring it up. Because bring, bring we've been going down, down, oh. down, down. Well, I, you know, I mean, on the, on the positive side of this, a lot of its money comes from foreign foreign uh, ticket sales, um, and you know a lot of the foreign countries are even worse as far as what they will watch and, and, yeah, yeah. the judgmental part. So I have a feeling that's probably you know part of this. Also, equation. something yeah. that we never talk about on this podcast, but America is not the number one market anymore. <coughs> not yeah. at all. Not at all. You know what I mean? Like they can sit here and let all everybody get angry about the movie in America. And in the end, they're like, okay, go yeah. ahead. Like, yeah. we're going to release it in China. They love it in China. And we're going to make $400 million, and yeah. it doesn't matter that you, you hate Warcraft. It. Warcraft, right. Yeah, it doesn't matter that no one liked uh, that movie. It still made, what, $700 million? Yeah. I yeah, so. Yeah. This was a success, so, un, an unbridled success. Yeah. Yes. The greatest hits take on this move, on this story worked. But maybe people will be like we were, and they'll go search out the real story. The real. And then. You know that could that could help attitudes. Maybe yeah. maybe uh, the real Freddie Mercury will emerge and uh, can help change opinions and stuff yeah. like that. I think the best the thing, world. honestly, the best thing it can do is get people in the Queen. Exactly. Yeah. And hopefully, that you become a real fan of Queen and you'll learn the truth and all that. Yeah. Stuff. So if anything, it did that. I guess. Yeah. yeah. You know, it it feels like one of those movies that you watch and then you want to go read the book <laughs> about what really happened. And Definitely. Kind of get the, um, not that people read books anymore or anything, but they can check Wikipedia. <laughs> they'll read the article <laughs> that we have a attached YouTube, to this They'll watch a YouTube podcast. video. Yeah, they'll yeah. listen to our podcast. Yeah. To find out. The, uh, well, I think the, what I learned most is that I now I understand more why they did what they did. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Right. But yeah, learning the facts I, that were I changed. I understand why. I, I think it's very, this one in particular is very instructive mm-hmm. as yeah. far as why they did it. Yeah. Um, and why there are disagreements about these kind of movies. Of all, yeah. Of all the biopics where you really change some drastic stuff, this one seems like one of the touchier ones that you would do that with, mm-hmm. which I, is odd. Like, there's a lot of yeah. social, like, issues in this story yeah. for real, and it's something that I don't think I would have messed with. Like, pick another story, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're gonna mess with something, you know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It does. You know what though? This one leaves room. For the Sasha Barrett Cohen one, you know, it sure we, does. We've seen that before. We've seen, you know, I remember a couple uh, years Steve ago, Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah, I remember there was an Alfred Hitchcock, couple pair of Alfred Hitchcock biopics. There was, uh, there's one other one I'm thinking of, but I can't think of what it was. Capote, Capote had yeah, yeah. Two to him. So I think there's room for another one. We can see yeah. the other one, and then yeah. people will compare and be like, "Oh, there's no comparison." And yeah. you know what they'll say is they'll say that the dark one isn't as fun. 
absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It won't, it won't yeah. make as much money, and no. it, yeah. but maybe it'll only cost twenty million, and you know, <laughs> win somebody an Oscar. But it'll probably be a better story. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I honestly think, I think Ray Malik was amazing. I agree. But I actually think Sasha would have probably been better. Mm. I know, but you can't ever say what didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, any any last thoughts, guys, on this? Uh, I, I I have I'm echoing Jamie's statement earlier that um, picking a short period of time yep. to tell encapsulate a person's life is way better for story cinematic storytelling than doing the greatest hits where you're rushing through fifty stories. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing as my lesson. Uh, but what I'll say is for writers, um, look into these um, biopics, these true stories. I mean, put it into your mind. Like, like what is something you're really into or have a lot of knowledge? Uh, it might be a subject for your next screenplay as well. So, Do stuff inspired by. Inspired by. Rudy. I, I, I think kind of along those lines, do like the lesser known stories that you can kind of get away with riffing a little more and it won't change history so much. Yeah, so like just the be, Rudy. Like Rudy. Yeah, I think if Rudy's you haven't good... seen Rudy, it's fantastic. Yeah, don't do like Rosa Parks and then she like, you know, takes out a laser gun or <sighs> yeah, something Jesus. and starts <laughs> shooting everyone on the bus. Yeah, don't change stuff that's, yeah, that's Black- well-known. Blackish had a Rosa Parks uh, movie in it did this not, week. I did, oh, not, know I did not know that. Wow. All right, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks Good for job. listening. Thanks. You've just listened to Writer's Blockbusters, a screenwriting podcast featuring two professionals and another guy. Available only on Thundergrunt.